It may be, sound like no surprise to you, but rearing our children isn't rocket science. And I want to give you some reasons why it's not rocket science. First of all, children as arrows, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, are not like rockets or like rocket science because the children are already in motion. Did you ever think of that? With rocket science, they do the drawings, they do the calculations. They're done for each individual component of which there's millions of components and parts. Then over a period of years, months, that each component is tested separately over and over again while the child is preassembled at birth. <laughs> With hers or her God-given bents and personality and gifts are already built in. And secondly, once you send a rocket to the moon, all you have to do is repeat it with certain limited variables. You recalculate variables like the payload, the trajectory, the thrust, the, the destination. With children, there's no such set science. Each child is different. There's millions of different variables. And then when you think about this, since the child comes fully assembled and already in motion at birth, you've got to be working on both ends of the arrow at the same time. Their, their moral and spiritual guidance system, which is the fletching, You've got to be working on that. At the same time, you've got to be working on their mental development. You're sharpening one end of the arrow, as it were. At the same time, you're adjusting the guidance system on the other. You can't complete one component at a time and run it through trials and tests until you get it right. The bottom line is, it's not rocket science because rearing a child is a lot more complex than rocket science. It's also not rocket science because the stakes are higher in rearing our children. You may have missed it, but uh, an astronaut and a cosmonaut were almost killed this last week when the booster rockets failed at liftoff, and they, they returned safely, but with all the other garbage on the news these days, it just kind of slipped right through that it was a remarkable thing that they, they were able to return safely. Several astronauts have been killed over the years, and it's a tragedy. I remember when we lived in... In, in the Dallas area, we could, when the Columbia exploded, uh, we could look up and we could see the vapor trails and the, the smoke from the explosion looking south from our sky. But the stakes are higher in child rearing because the results are eternal. God places an eternal human being made in his image into our arms and under our care and guidance. And as we learned so far in this study, the purpose of child rearing is to make an impact for the Lord, to aim them for life at targets that are pleasing to God. No pressure there, right? <laughs> Thankfully, God's word lays it out for us. And while your child is complex and selfishly stubborn, and every one of your children is different, we have the Bible as our guide, as an instructional manual with what we're supposed to do as parents and grandparents and those who teach and minister to our children. It's clearly stated clearly and succinctly in, in the Bible. God's Word lays it out for us in a way we can fully understand it and apply it. And it all begins with love. I don't know if it sounds like a song. I, you know, ever, ever since I typed this this last week, it begins with love. The Beatles song has been running in my mind. All you need is love. You know, and I don't agree with the way they put that. But it really does begin with love. Male and female, we were created, every one of us were created in the image of God. 
And God is love. In other words, we were created to be in a loving relationship with God. We are created in God's image so we can receive love, created his image so we can love God in return and love others and be loved by others. So turn over to Matthew's gospel, Matthew 22, verse 37, the 22nd chapter of Matthew, the 37th verse, page 1,220 in the Bibles in the rack, because in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is having a discussion with the Pharisees. And one of the Pharisees, a lawyer or a scribe, a teacher of the law, asked Jesus a question. And is of typical of lawyers, the question is meant as a test. He's trying to trap Jesus. So he asked Jesus in uh, verse 36 of, of Matthew 22, Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? Now, now look at Jesus' answer in verse 37, because Jesus quotes what we already read this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verse 37, he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. We are commanded to love God. And what does this have to do with rearing our children? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7 says that we are to love the Lord our God and we are to teach our children what? To love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their mind. And so I'm going to put these ways to love God up on the screen here because in a little bit we're going to see how to use these or develop our children in the way they should go. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart. Love God with all our heart. And I'm going to put this over on the fletching side of the arrow, the guidance system, moral and spiritual guidance, because loving the Lord our God with our heart is part of, of what directs us, which keeps us keeps on course. Secondly, we are to love the Lord our God with our mind. I'm going to call this the head because I, I kind of like it. They all start with H if I, I do this right here. You know, we're, we're to love the Lord our God with all our head, our mind. And of course, this is on the mental development, mental development side of, of, of the chart. And then we are to love the Lord our God with all our soul, with all our soul. Again, we put this on the guidance side, and we'll see that in a little bit. And just so they all start with age, going to call this holy habits. These are the disciplines that lead us into holiness, that direct us into holiness and holy living, living a life that is pleasing to God. And lastly, we have to go back to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 22, because Jesus said there's a second commandment, verse 39 of Matthew 22. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We are to love God, and we are to teach our children to love God, and we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, and we are to teach our children to love their neighbors as themselves. And Jesus says in verse 40 here, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. The, the key is love. And when Jesus asked, who is my neighbor? Remember that in Luke's gospel, Jesus told the parable, of the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan who, who came along and found this man who had been injured and ignored by others, and he poured oil on the injured man's wounds. He bandaged him up. 
He put him on his donkey, brought him to an inn, gave the innkeeper more money to make sure he was taken care of. Said, when I return, I'll, I'll make it up if it's, it's not enough. In other words, he used his hands to love and serve somebody else and lift them up. That's how we love our neighbor. So the fourth H on the chart is love the Lord your God with all your hands, with your strength. So it says in the Old Testament, we're going to use the word hands. And we do that by, by serving others. So we're starting to get to the how-to here when it comes to rearing our children. We've talked about the goal in several different ways, and I mentioned the one this morning. And I want to briefly just say these again. The purpose of child-rearing is to make an impact for the Lord, to aim them for life at targets that are pleasing to God. Last week, we put it this way. Adapt the training of your child so that in keeping with his or her God-given characteristics and tendencies... When he or she comes to maturity, what? They will not depart from the training that they have received. And the week before that, it was Psalm 78, verse 7, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. It's the supreme goal of parenthood. So how do we know that our children are going to be loyal to God, whether they're still under our roof or they get out to, away from the home? How do we know that when they face the giants of life and struggles and temptation and suffering, how do we know that they're going to put their confidence in God? How do we know they're not going to forget the works of God? that they will obey God in spite of their circumstances because they have been taught the things of God. They have been taught, as we have seen this morning, they have been taught to love the Lord their God with all that they are and to love others. So these are the same goals, or the same goals stated in three different ways, but where do we begin? How do we do it? Let's go back to love. Love is the key. You shall love the Lord your God and shall teach your children to love the Lord your God, their God. Everything you teach your kids, every guidance that you give them, for every reason that you discipline them, every training that the way they should go is based on their love for the Lord and his love for them. Teach them to love the Lord. That is what we're commanded to do in Scripture. That's what we are to do, to teach them to love the Lord. Because God created these marvelous little human beings, <laughs> these children. Every child is created in his image, and they were created to receive love from God. And they were created to give love to God. And all children of every age, it doesn't matter who, what age they are, little kids, even kids that can't respond very well other than crying and saying, I'm hungry. They're created in God's image because they're looking for love. They're looking for love. And children created in God's image have an immense capacity to, to give love. We talk a lot about the negatives in, in raising and rearing our children, and there can be a lot of, a lot of negatives, and there's a lot of frustrations, and, and there's even some severe heartache. But we need to begin by talking about our children's need for love and their enormous God-given capacity to give love. And so put it very simply, in a way even a child can understand, we need to develop their love for Jesus. We need to develop their love for Jesus. 
Everything we do in training our kids and the way they should go, every goal of discipline, every goal in parenting and shaping and sharpening our kids is to be developing their love for Jesus. And that's, that's wonderfully simple. So let's go back to our chart, and we're going to, to change it here a little bit. We have four target components. We target these in the development of our children. We zero in on these. We focus on them so that their love for Jesus is developed in these key areas. And so as we work on shaping the moral and spiritual guidance of our children, we want to be developing a love for Jesus with their heart. We want our kids to develop a love of Jesus with their heart, from their heart. And don't we teach kids that? You know, to, to love with all their heart, to love Jesus and love others with all their heart. So we develop. We'll look at that at more depth in a little bit. And below that on the spiritual and uh, moral guidance system, we want our kids to be developing a love for Jesus with their soul, what we're going to call holy habits. If our kids develop a love for Jesus with all their heart and soul, what? They're going to be on the right track for a lifetime. They will veer off. We do that. That's what we do. But once they have that love for Jesus in their heart and with their soul, they're just going to keep headed in the right direction, even though they're going to have that. Now, on the right side of the chart indicates the impact that they're going to be have, the difference that they're going to be making in the world. We call this the point, the pointed side, the sharpened side of the arrow. And we work on that side. We work on our kids developing a love for Jesus with their head, with their, their mind, their sharpness. We could call this their, their mental sharpness. How they serve Jesus in love and then in serving, developing a love for Jesus with their hands. How they serve Jesus in love by serving and loving others. This is how they're going to make a difference, how they're going to serve the Lord with their spiritual gifts, how they're going to serve the Lord with the talents and, and the way that God made them and with their time and treasures. And so for the remainder of our time this morning, we're just going to be looking at the left side of the chart, at the moral and spiritual guidance system, how our children develop a love for Jesus with their heart that's lived out in holy habits. And then next Sunday, we'll get to the, the impact side. And of course, none of these target components, this is why it's not rocket science, are mutually exclusive or sequential. You know, we don't get one right, and then when we get that one right, we think we can go on to the next one, or we don't focus on one to the detriment of the other. We have to be working on all of these at the same time. One or more will be emphasized at any given moment, but it's essential that their love for Jesus is developed in all four of these target components. And we begin by developing a love for Jesus in their heart. Developing a love of Jesus with their heart. It begins with your child's heart. And this is where it should begin, because this is the place to begin. You know, because due to the developmental nature of little children, when they haven't reached that point that they can start to reason things out, as kids get into adolescence and junior high, then they start to reason. They want to know why. They're looking for whys. And, and they're starting to build their own intellectual faith at that point. But, but with little kids, you know, everything's black and white, and it's concrete. They only stand, understand basic concepts like yes, no. It's no because mommy, daddy said it's no. 
And it's yes, because this is what we want to do. It's black, white. It's go, stop. It's dog, cat. It's Spider-Man. <laughs> or whatever their favorite hero is at the point. And so that, it's, it's very concrete at that point. And, but they are still emotional beings that are looking for security. They're looking for stability. And the heart of the child is their center. They need love and security. They need to feel and experience that they are loved and feel that they are safe and protected. And so to touch the heart of a child is to impact them for a lifetime. We see this modeled in the life of Jesus. If you turn over to, to Matthew chapter 10, or excuse me, Mark chapter 10, Mark's gospel, chapter 10, the, the 14th verse, page 1246. In the 10th chapter of Mark, the crowd is bringing their children to Jesus so that he can bless them. But the disciples thought Jesus was too busy for that, or I don't know, didn't want to be bothered with the children. And so the disciples told the crowd off, told the parents off, rebuked them for wanting to bring their children to, to Jesus. But in verse 10 of Mark chapter 14, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now look at how Jesus treats the children in verse 16. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. He wrapped some of them in his arms. He spoke a blessing to them. He laid hands on some of them, put his hands on their heads and, and spoke a blessing and quite frank, frankly, this is very touchy-feely. Guess what? It has to be. With children, it has to be touchy-feely. Little children are emotional beings, very emotional, who are very hands-on. That's why they can't keep their hands off of anything, because that's, that's how they learn. That's how they learn. They explore with their bodies. They go this way and that way, and they touch this, and they taste this. We had a kid that would taste everything in the yard, and so we had to call poison control <laughs> at least twice. You know, and so that's, that's what they do. That's how they learn. And of course, you have to put in discipline somewhere because you don't want them to be poisoned to death before they, they learn about this substance. But they learn by very physical means. And they feel loved in the same way that they, they give love. They are very trusting and accepting. And they have this wonderful imagination and they have this open belief system. It's almost like they, they just believe in God automatically until somebody tells them something else. And while they are very egocentric and very self-centered, they enjoy being with others and, and interaction. So how do you develop a love for Jesus with your child's heart? And I want to give these to you very briefly, but I put them in the, the, the notes today in the outline because these are, are so important. You stress with your child. Yeah, I guess all three are down at the bottom there. You stress with your children that Jesus loves them. You stress that Jesus loves them, and this builds their trust in Jesus. If you keep stressing that Jesus loves them, they're going to learn to trust in Jesus. 
You know, it's no accident that Jesus Loves Me is the favorite children's song. You stress with your children that Jesus loves them, and their response to being loved of Jesus is to respond in, in trust. You know, one of the worst things I ever heard one time a parent say, and we were at some people's house, and their adolescent boy, he was just constant on the go and in trouble all the time. And, and uh, so the mother was disciplining him, and we were still in the living room watching this. And uh, she actually said to her son, Jesus doesn't like you when you do that. <laughs> the worst possible thing you can say to a child. Because they need to learn to trust Jesus, that no matter what they do, no matter who they are, Jesus loves me, this I know. And that builds trust. And secondly, you stress to your child that Jesus wants to be their forever friend. I like that, forever friend. Friends are friends forever because this is something that an 18-month-old understands, a two-year-old understands, that Jesus, they may not get all of who Jesus is, but this is somebody who's really cool, who's really wonderful, who loves them, that wants to be friends forever. This is a forever friend. And whenever you have a forever friend, and that forever friend is Jesus, this gives your child security. Security. They are loved forever. Jesus they need to be taught that Jesus will never leave them nor forsake them. They are loved with an everlasting love. Jesus is their forever friend. And lastly, you stress with your children that Jesus wants them to be part of his family. He wants to be, you to be part of, you know, everybody likes to belong. And so this gives your child a sense of belonging. Jesus wants to not only be your forever friend, and Jesus loves you forever, but he wants you to be part of his own family forever. And you stress these through interpersonal safe relationships where they can explore by using their bodies. And Why do we have motions to children's song? Do you ever wonder that? It's because it's not only how children learn by doing the motions, it's how they express how they feel when they do the, emotion, the, the motions. The emotions come into motions, that, that's why. And it's how they learn to love and trust and belong. And You know, little ch children learn Bible truths through story and pictures, very tangible stuff. And when you tell the story, or you teach the story, or you read the book, as a parent, as a teacher, we are, should do it with little kids in particular with great emotion. You know, you're reading a particular book and it says, the lion roars. So what do you do as a parent? Roar! You know, and the kids just love that and they feel that and they know that. We can tell the stories of the Bible with the same excitement and, and the same emotion. We need to help our kids feel what the children felt when Jesus took them into their arms and blessed them. And as our kids grow and mature and learn to reason for themselves and think things out, as they get older, developing their love for Jesus with the heart is no less important. In fact, it becomes more and more important. And quite frankly, it tends to get more difficult as children grow. The scripture teaches us that the heart is the control center for a life. A person's life is a reflection of what's going on in his or her heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with diligence, from, for from it flow the springs of life. And it's a very graphic word picture here. The heart is like a well 
from which all the issues of life gust forth. And this theme is stated over and over in the Bible. You can picture it this way. The heart determines your behavior. The heart determines what you say. It determines where you go. It determines what you do. What you say and what you do expresses the orientation of your heart. And Jesus said it this way in Mark chapter 6, or Mark chapter 7. Does that say 6? It's Mark chapter 7, 21 and 23. I'm funny. Interesting I caught that. But anyway, Jesus said, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, and wickedness, (coughs) as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. These evils in actions and in speech come from within, from the heart. While your children say what they do is a reflection of what is in their hearts. And then in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus stressed the same point. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. It always starts in the heart before it comes out in speech and in actions. And these verses are instructive on how we are to rear our children. And they teach us that behavior is not the main issue. Yes, we must discipline for bad and wrong behavior. And the next two videos on Sunday night, on Sunday, or uh, Chick, Chip Ingram is going to do a marvelous job when it comes to the when and the how and the, the reason for, for discipline. But behavior is not the basic issue. The basic issue is what's going on in the heart. It's what's going on in the heart. Remember, the heart is the control center of the life. I want to read what Ted Tripp wrote in his classic book on rearing children. He called his book Shepherding a Child's Heart. Uh, What a a great title, because that's what we do as parents. He says, parents often get sidetracked with behavior. If your goal is to discipline Goal in discipline is changed behavior. It's easy to understand why this happens. The thing that alerts you to your child's need for correction is his behavior. Behavior irritates and thus calls attention to itself. Behavior becomes your focus. You think you have corrected when you have changed unacceptable behavior to behavior that you sanction and appreciate. What is the problem, you ask? The problem is this. Your child's needs are far more profound than his aberrant behavior. Remember, his behavior does not just spring forth uncaused. His behavior, the things he says and does, reflects his heart. If you are to really help him, you must be concerned with the attitudes of the heart that drive his behavior. And he adds this, a change in behavior that does not stem from a change in heart is not commendable, it's condemnable. Is it not the hypocrisy that Jesus condemned the Pharisees? In Matthew 15, Jesus denounced the Pharisees who have honored him with their lips while their hearts are far from him. Jesus censures them as people who wash the outside of the cup while the inside is still unclean. Yet this is what we often do in child rearing. We demand change behavior and never dress the heart that drives the behavior. So what do we need to do instead 
We need to work from the behavior, and of course the behavior needs to be corrected, but we must always come back to the heart. We must learn to expose the heart issues of our children. Now, you don't do this with little tiny kids. Okay, now I'm going to psychoanalyze my four-year-old and try to figure out what they're thinking. No, it's black and white, Spider-Man, stop, go. You know, very concrete. But as kids get older and we can talk with them and we can open Scripture in an appropriate way and say, okay, if people do this, these are the consequences. And if they don't do this, or they do this other thing, these are the consequences. But let's also talk about what's going on in the heart. We must engage them, not just reprove them. We need to help them find ways that they are trying to satisfy, satisfy their thirst, their, their love for belonging and, and security. And I'm going to have to leave all this with Chip Ingram this evening. But I want to remind you that we want to develop a love for Jesus with their heart. A love for Jesus with their heart. And that brings us to the last one we'll have time to look at this morning. And we're still on the spiritual guidance system side of our heart. And we could spend months and weeks on this one. But uh, just to give kind of a feel for it now. We want to develop a love for Jesus in our kids as lived out in holy habits. Holy habits. What are holy habits? I mean, these are the disciplines of godliness. These are what God uses, the Holy Spirit uses to to nurture and transform the soul, to to transform God's children more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. It's it's establishing good habits for living a Christ-centered life. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, his son in the faith, his spiritual son, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. I love that word discipline. It comes from the Greek word gymnazo. We get the word gymnasium from it. (laughs) This is like athletic effort. Go to the gym, the gymnasium, and work at it. Work out. Work in the gym. Go to work strenuously for the purpose of godliness. Go to work strenuously. And historically, these have been called the spiritual disciplines. These are the habits that we build into our own lives and we want to build into the lives of our kids that result in godliness and Christ-like living. Because godliness, holiness, doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen automatically in us and it doesn't happen in our, our children unless we work at it. The habits begun in childhood last a lifetime. We saw this last week with Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And as parents, as grandparents, and as as teachers, as we have opportunity, we need to provide an environment in our homes and in our church where holy habits are modeled, where holy habits are taught, where holy habits are expected. You know, it's a tremendous opportunity to help our kids establish good habits for living a Christ-centered life. The spiritual disciplines must be intentionally taught. And you're going, well, what are the spiritual disciplines? The spiritual disciplines are the disciplines such as prayer, worship, fellowship, Bible study, and even as they get older, even meditation and fasting. You know, it's a very powerful thing. To say to a teen who is going through a particular tough situation or or a tough time of temptation or or facing a difficult decision, to say to them, okay, let's pray about it right now. 
And why don't we both keep praying about it and seek God's direction from His Word? And why don't we spend some time, if you're physically able, not everybody can fast because they, they don't have the physiology for it, but, you know, why, why don't we skip lunch tomorrow and, and get together and fast and pray about this some more? Because the teen who has seen that work in your life and who has been trained for it will see God work in his or her life. At a very early age, we need to be guiding our kids in prayer. And we do that. We, we kneel by the bed, okay, let's say our prayers, and you know, we tell Bible stories, and we read God's Word. We get them involved in, in Bible study as they, they get a little, a little older. We get them involved in worship and fellowship in the church. That is so important. I'm sure it has to be age-appropriate on all of these things, but uh, there are two things we need to know about this. In this series, I have purposely tried to stay away from surveys and polls and such that tell us how bad our world is out there. We know how bad the world is out there. We know how bad it is, and we know that the pressures that kids face today are something when we were in high school or we were kids, we never would have thought of that it'll push it a button, you can see that, or get this or that or the other thing, and how bad it is. And so I've stayed away from all of that, but we do need to be aware of two things that research shows us. First of all, research tells us that your child's moral code is set by age nine. By age nine, what is right, what is wrong, what is black, what is white, what might be a gray area, what you can do and what you can't do, it is set in a kid by the time they're nine years old. Now, does that mean it's hopeless when the kid's 10? No, but we're going to have to spend a lot of time pushing the reset button and retraining and retraining and retraining. And, and that's okay because God works and, and we can do that. It's not to say, to oh, throw up your hands. Well, they're 10. They're on their own. <laughs> you know, don't, no, don't take it that. But we also need to be aware in those younger years when, when we're the parents, when the Sunday school teachers, when we're the spiritual leaders in, in the church, that we need to be intentionally developing their love for Jesus when it comes to their, their moral habits. And I don't have to tell you that the systems of this world start their brainwashing as soon as the child can watch TV, as soon as they're old enough to go to preschool or kindergarten. And you know all this, what's going on. You see it on TV. They're telling a kid what their gender is, <laughs> you know. And uh, so they're, they're working harder. We need to trust the Holy Spirit and work even harder. It means that as a parent, we must be vigilant and intentional in the child's holy habits from birth. And you wonder how you do that? From the beginning, you work on developing their love for Jesus. You end developing their heart. And the second thing we need to be aware of this, and it's related, the age where our kids face peer pressure and the desire to conform and be like every other kid, is that age is dropping like a rock in our culture. Peer pressure used to be something we didn't face much until adolescence, you know, or even high school. You know, I didn't even hear about beer could be in the trunk of a car until I was in high school and we were sitting behind the bowling alley out washing down here and all of a sudden another car pulls up and, and uh, 
they move the beer from one trunk to the other, and I go, well, that, that's really weird. I didn't even know they did such things. <laughs> you, know, you know, and so, you know, how naive we were because we lived in a somewhat naive culture. But now kids faced it in the first and second grade. They see it even on, on PBS and Sesame Street and, and other shows that should be very innocuous, but it's all peer pressure. The peer pressure is coming in and pushing and trying to conform them to, to this world. And, and they not only face it with their, when they're with their friends and, and other kids, every commercial they see on TV is put on to pressure them to be like this world. So this is what we need to do as parents and what we need to do as church and spiritual leaders it's crucial that children are expected to live a life of holy habits, but they also must understand that they will be outside the secular circle. That church, that fellowship, that family, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. And the worst thing you can say to me as a parent is says, well, Dad, everybody else is doing it. You'll never get to do it. <laughs> That's the worst that our kids need to understand. That's the worst argument they, they can use. Because if everybody else is doing it, it's wrong. As a family, as a church, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. But that also means that we need to be a safe, nurturing place where the love of Jesus is the primary focus of all of our life, all of our fellowship, all of our Worship, And this doesn't mean that you totally isolate your kids from the outside influences. You can't do that to begin with. You can monitor them and be careful about this. But it does mean that in developing a love for Jesus and their holy habits, they will become in themselves through the power of the Holy Spirit more and more insulated from being conformed to this world. Make your home. We will make our church a place and continue to make it a place of, of love, security, and safety where the love of Jesus is taught, where the love of Jesus is lived, where the love of Jesus is modeled, and where the love of Jesus is developed. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, I thank you once again for the, the kids that are not only here this morning, but the kids who come through these doors of Grace Baptist Church during the week, Lord. And, and Father, I thank you that uh, you have made it very clear in your word what our goal is to be, that, that sometimes we can complicate uh, what it means to be a teacher or a parent or, or someone who has spiritual influence over our children, Father, and Complicate it to the point that, we're, oh man, I, I don't know if I can do that, Father. And I just, I just pray that as we boil it down, what it means to develop a love for Jesus, Father, that that will center us, that will focus us. And Father, when we do have frustrations, when we do have those times that something seems to not be working, and, and we do have those times where someone will rebel and reject and and it can even be done hurtfully, Lord, that uh, you will still give us, because of your love for us, you will give us a love for them, Father. I guess it really is all about love, and we thank you for that.
in Jesus' name. Amen.